name, let them know it. Amen. I appreciate, I appreciate them very much and Pastor Aaron's leadership there. They just do a wonderful, wonderful job. I don't know if you, I, I, you know, it's easy for us. We get isolated out here. I don't know if we really know how, how blessed we are to have Pastor Aaron uh, with the, with the, the I mean, I, I go to other places and hear other music. I, I, other music, I, I hear other other worship teams, and I go, man, we, we, we're blessed. We're blessed. We're, we're blessed thankful. Uh, well, you're very kind. I'm just speaking truth. You're, you're, you're very kind. Uh, we're, today is a part two, part two, or, or I guess sermon two, because it'll be several in the series of our series of un, uh, Joy Unspeakable. That's the title, Joy Unspeakable. And the title of our message this morning is this, it's Joy Stealers. So if you're, if you're, if you're writing like, what is, what is this message going to be about this morning? This is really part two of our introduction, but today is kind of an overview. We're going to look at the whole book in, in a quick overview, but we're going to look at it with, a, with a, an emphasis on this topic of this because the book is about joy. That's what we've been talking about. The joy, it's not a book about joy. That's the overflow, right? We learned last week, the book's really about Jesus. That's the reason Paul had joy was his focus was on Christ. His emphasis was on Christ. Everything he looked at was on Christ. But, but we have to understand there are things that can steal our joy in life. And so when we look at this title, uh, that's true, isn't it? And you could give a big amen there, Raymond. Amen, right? So there are things that can steal our joy. We want to look at that. So that, that's the overview today. Now, so many Christians have lost their joy. I'm not going to talk about the world around us. They don't have joy. They're, they're seeking happiness. And our goal, you know, our desire is to see people that are out there seeking happiness that they would find joy. Because joy, real joy, lasting joy, true joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. So I'm really not speaking to the lost world around us. I'm speaking to us as a body of Christ this morning, as believers. And look, look if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you've never been truly born again, and you're going, I'm not sure what that even means. What it means is simply coming to a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's understanding that I am a sinner and I'm separated from God for all of eternity because of my sin. And there's nothing that I can do. Nothing that I can do. But Jesus did it all. God sent His Son Jesus to come down from the glories of heaven. He took on the form of His own creation in the form of a man. He humbled Himself. He went to the cross. He lived a sinless life. And He went as a sinless substitute. He took our place on that cross. He died in our place. He died for our sin. And He was buried and He rose again. And He offers us eternal life if we'll simply repent. If we'll turn from our sin, confess our sin, and turn to Him by faith. And place our faith in Him. So if, if that's you this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, that's the first step. That's the step to having real joy. You're going, I don't know where joy is in life. I'm looking, I'm hunting, I'm searching. So you search no more. You find joy in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now what I'm talking about is for us as believers. You know, there, there, there are so many believers who have lost their joy. You go in the average Baptist church on any given Sunday and you just watch. I've been there. You just look around. Different places, you look around. Here's what, you're going to think, man, I went to the wrong place. They're having a funeral this morning. This is, did I go to the morgue? What, what is going on? Man, this place is gloomy. We shouldn't have that. We should have joy. Um, what do you do if you catch someone stealing from you? You go, stop, thief! Right? It, I hope I got you, didn't I? Tim, Tim, Tim looked around over there like, he, man, what are you doing? That was the idea. I want to get your attention a little bit. But that's what you do. And I tell my wife, you know, things are getting crazy in our world and people are accosting people in parking lots at grocery stores and stuff. And I've told her, if somebody messes with you even a bit, you start screaming, holler, throw a bloody fit until I get you that, never mind. (laughs) Y'all know, y'all know, soon, soon they don't want to mess with her in a parking lot. Just put it that way. Um, but here's what you're going to do. If, if someone's stealing joy, if someone's stealing from you, you want to put a stop to it, right? So you want to you end that. You take steps to end it. You don't just sit by and allow it to continue. Now, there are things that are constantly stealing our joy. And why would we sit by and allow this to just to continue to happen? But oftentimes, that's what we do. Now, it may be by ignorance. It may be by apathy or whatever. But we shouldn't. We as believers, if something is stealing our joy, we should not sit by and just continue to allow that to happen. We shouldn't do that. We should identify the culprit and take the necessary steps to end the thievery. 
Whatever it is that's still in my joy, I need to get on that. Isaiah 53.3 tells us that Jesus Christ was, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's our Jesus. Yet he possessed a deep joy that went beyond what the world could offer. In, in, in spite of the things that we know he went through and the grief he carried and the burdens he carried, he was filled with joy. As he faced Calvary, Jesus said this, and we, we read this verse last week in John 15, 11. Uh, he said this to his followers. He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy may remain in you. And what he's saying is joy is not, it's not your joy. If you have joy, it's my joy. In my prayers, these things that this joy would remain in you, my joy would remain in you. Therefore, your joy can be full if my joy remains in you. Listen, if his joy is not in us, we're, we don't, we're not going to have any joy. It's not going to last. As true believers in Christ, we have the privilege of experience the fullness of joy. You know, we don't have to have partial joy or, or, or three-quarters joy. We can have fullness of joy, as Psalm, uh, Psalm 16:11 tells us. Yet too few Christians take advantage of the privilege we have as believers of that joy. Uh, as many live under the cloud of disappointment uh, when, when, they, when, when they could be walking in joy. Many are just, man, they're disappointed. Life isn't panned out the way they thought, or they don't have this, or I thought I would be this by now. We, we, we live under disappointment. My kids haven't turned out the way I hoped. I don't have that much money in the bank. I don't have this job. Whatever it might be, that's not where we as believers ought to live. We should be walking in joy. Now, what has robbed them of their joy? The answer to this question is found in Paul's letter to the Philippians. One of their members, Epaphroditus, had been sent to Rome to bring a special offering to Paul, and he was, he was sent there to help him, help Paul in his time of need. You can see that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30, and then in chapter 10, verses 10 through 20. Deal with that in understanding who Epaphroditus was and what he was there to do. He brought this gift. So Paul's letter to the Philippian church is somewhat, it's kind of a thank you letter. He's writing them a thank you letter for the gift that they've given him and for sending Epaphroditus to be a help to him. But it's more, much more than that. It's it's the sharing of Paul's secret of Christian joy. And at least uh, 19 times in these four chapters, Paul mentions this. And I mentioned this last week, but he mentions joy or rejoicing or rejoice or the word gladness. He uses these words and it indicates this joy that he was filled with and the joy that we can have. And he's explaining through all these various situations and circumstances and things that are there that would steal our joy. He's talking about joy. So he was filled with this joy. And so this letter, while it is focused on Christ and our joy is because of Christ, we can deal with this and understand how do we deal with these joy stealers. The unusual thing about this letter is this, that Paul's situation was such that, that there appeared to be no reason for him to rejoice. If you look at his life from the outside, you would go, man, anybody, let me just ask this, you ever known anybody that was in prison and gotten a letter from them? I have. The letters aren't usually filled with joy. They're, they're counting the days. They're, they're bemoaning whatever the situation is. I mean, I, I've had a friend. I had a friend who was in prison for about, I don't know, eight years. And we corresponded some. And that was, it was always a gloomy letter. It was never filled with joy. That wasn't the case with Paul's letter. Listen, Paul's situation, he was a Roman prisoner. Uh, his case was coming up shortly. He might be exonerated or he might be executed. He didn't know. It, it could have gone either way. He could be set free or he could be sent to heaven. It was, it was, it was, that was the reality of it. Acts 28 verses 30 and 31 indicate that he was a prisoner in his own rented house. So he's a prisoner, but he rented a house and he's a prisoner. He's under house arrest there and he was chained to a Roman soldier and he wasn't permitted to preach out in public. Now imagine Paul's a preacher, he wants to preach. So people would come and he could preach to them there, but he wasn't allowed to leave his home. He's under house arrest. So he's chained there. He's chained with a Roman guard. Someone's there with him all the time. Paul had wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. Instead, he arrived as a prisoner. He didn't get mad about it, though. Not only that, but, he, but, but the believers at Rome were divided. He gets there and he finds those who are believers. Some of them were, you know, they were on Paul's side. Other of them were on Paul's case. You know, some of them were supporting him and others were trying to tear him down. In fact, there were some who were trying to make things worse for Paul in his situation, as though it could get worse. They were trying to make it worse, and we'll, we'll study that as we go on. Yet in spite of his dilemma and his danger and his discomfort and his dissenters, Paul overflowed with joy. Joy was in his life. And the secret of this joy is found in another word that is often repeated in Philippians, and it's this word, mind, M-I-N-D. 
mind. Paul uses the word mind and think ten times. He uses those words. So he talks a lot about, the focus is on the Lord, but he also talks about the mind and the way that we think. In other words, the secret to Christian joy is found in the way the believer thinks, his attitude, his outlook. Now, let me just put a disclaimer right now. I'm not going off on some wild psychology thing. But we're going to talk about some Christian psychology this morning because it is about our mind. The way we think is important, and we're going to look at that. So I just want to give that disclaimer, okay? Scripture says, Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Look, the way, the, the, our thinking is important. If we have negative thoughts all the time, who talk? let me ask you, who, who has more input in your life? Who's speaking to you more than anybody else? Who's talking to you? Yourself. You're talking to yourself. And you can have negative talk or you can have positive talk. Or you can have faith positive talk. You can have scripture talk. So what, where that comes from, the voice that what you are saying, what, and where does that come from? Is it lies out of the pit of hell or is it truth out of the word of God? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to yourself more than anybody else? But what are you saying to yourself? These things are important. And this book of Philippians is a Christian psychology book based solidly, solidly on Bible doctrine. It is not a shallow self-help book that tells the reader how to convince himself that everything is going to be okay. That's not what this book is about. But it is about having right thinking. This book explains the mind the believer must have if he's going to experience Christian joy in a world filled with promised trouble. The world, we're promised tribulation. We're promised trouble. We're promised persecution. Listen, if you can't get past that and embrace that and understand that's what we're going to have, you're going to have a hard time having joy if you don't understand that, if you don't come at it from the right mental perspective. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay, so the best way to get the total picture of this book is to discover first the thieves that rob us of our joy, then to determine the kinds of attitudes that we must have so we can capture and defeat these thieves. Stop, thief. When we realize what it is, we've got to know how to stop it, and we're going to see if we can have those answers today. So there's four things I want to give you that steal our joy, these things that steal our joy, these thieves. First one is circumstances. Circumstances. Man, just the things going on in life. Most, most of us confess that when things are going our way, we feel a lot happier and, and we're much easier to live with. Amen? Amen. We know it's true. You, you come home from work and the family can tell whether you've had a good day or a bad day. It, they know. You know, he, he, he must have had a good day. He didn't squall the tires coming in. He didn't slam the door. And he even gave mama a kiss. Said, hey, you know, so you, you, most people can tell. You can tell what I mean, or have you ever thought this? Somebody comes in, your first thought is, having a bad day? Might tell. So we know, and it's a fact, when things seem to be going our way or like we'd like, you know, not having any trouble, things seem to be going better for us. We seem a little happier. That doesn't have to be the deciding factor for us because our circumstances will steal our joy. Somebody cut you off in traffic. Now you're brewing for 20 minutes going down the interstate. Whatever it is, you get upset. But have you ever stopped to think that, that about how few of the, the circumstances in our life that we really have control over? You know, a lot of times I, I, I hear talk about gas prices. I don't give a rip about gas prices. I don't want to pay high gas prices, but I don't waste my time worrying about them. In Indiana, I remember thinking this. There were people who would drive three miles up the road, four miles up the road to, get, to save three cents on gas. I'm like... Man, how much time did you spend researching that to decide I want to drive, you know, halfway across town to get three cents cheaper on gas, you know? Um, Here's the deal. We can't control the weather. So I don't get upset about the weather. Uh, We were talking about the weather. Gina asked me this morning, is it going to rain? I said, I don't know. She said, you're supposed to know everything. (laughs) What she meant was you think you know everything. Why don't you know that? That's what she meant. Um, I said, I don't know what the weather is. I don't look at the weather. I, I really don't. I, I just kind of like send the dog out. If he comes in wet, it's raining, all right? That kind of thing. In Florida, it, it changes three days a year, so why waste your time? Can't control the weather, so sitting getting upset about it doesn't change it. How about traffic on I-4? You can't control that. Why get upset about it? Best thing is just stay off of it. That's the... That's what I've learned. Um, you, you can't control, again, gas prices. You can't control, you, 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 you can't control other people. You know, the things they say or the things they do, you can't control that. 
And so why do, why do you let them steal your, your, your joy? Or, or listen, wins and losses in, in ball games. I'm a, little, I'm a little bit upset this morning. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't watch baseball a lot, but I've kept up with my Braves, and I hate the way they've set up the playoff system. They, they gave them five days off. You don't want five days off in baseball. You get cold. You want to stay hot. So they, they get the first round by, and what do they do? They, get, they lose three out of four games. Boom, they're out just like that. Best team in baseball It didn't even advance. I'm not bitter a bit. This hasn't affected my cir- – these circumstances hasn't bothered me one bit. But here, here's the fact, though. It, 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 it has. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It has. I don't like the system. But here's the fact. They lost. I saw they lost. I went, eh, okay, they lost. It would have been cool to watch them in the World Series again. But they lost. The game's over. It's done. It's, it, uh, it's a ball game, right? So I can't. If I'm going to let my joy be dependent on a ball game, I'm going to be upset a lot. Uh, a lot. And you Gator fans are really going to be upset a lot. Uh, I, did I say that out loud? I am so sorry. I'm, you know I don't do that much. You know I don't do that much. Listen, circumstance, we can't, I apologize for that. That was, that was so mean of me to say that. Y'all can get your revenge in two weeks. All right, you can, you can get me then. Um, we can't let circumstances steal our joy. If your happiness depends on ideal circumstances, you're going to be miserable most of the time. That's right. Because, man, it's very rare that circumstances in your life are going to be ideal. And yet here is the Apostle Paul in the worst of circumstances, and he's writing this letter that is saturated with joy. So circumstances can steal our joy. Uh, number two is people. I, I read a story this week and talked about this little girl came home. She got off the school bus. She came in. She slammed the door, and she's kind of mumbling under her breath, people, 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 people. She goes up, and mom says, hey, and she says, she just gruffs on by. She goes up and slams the door upstairs. And mom's like, what's going on? So mom goes upstairs, knocks on the door, says, can I come in? No. Uh, you sure? Why can't I come in? I'm just wanting to know what's wrong with you. You can't come in because you're a people. <laughs> I, think, I think the little girl had, had enough people that day, okay? So people can steal our joy. I found this quote. Us older folks will know this person, Paula Abdul. Paula Abdul, she said this. She says, I'm tired of people not treating me like the gift that I am. <laughs> In that quote, I could preach on that quote because that really captures. That's going, you remember that quote, okay, when I'm talking about this later. I think it's chapter 2 when we're talking about this. You're going to understand that that is the whole problem with people and the way we perceive that. She says, people aren't treating me like the gift that I am. I'm tired of that. You know? So she's upset about that. Um, all of us have times, at times have lost our joy because of people. Amen? Amen. If we're going to be honest, that's just the case. It, whether it's what they are or what they say or what they do, there's something. And no doubt, I'm going to speak for me, I've been guilty of making somebody else's life unhappy. Uh, someone else has been upset by me. People, that pastor Conrad. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm guilty. We're all guilty. And you go, it works that way? You, you know, sometimes we're all concerned about everybody we're mad about, and then we find out that somebody might be upset with something we said, and we're like, well, what did I ever do to them? You know, it's that Rocky quote I've shared with you guys. Um, it, it does work that way. You, you could be the people in somebody else's life that steals their joy. So we want to look at that. We have to live and work with people, so we can't just isolate ourselves. We can't just separate and go, uh, you know what, I don't want anything to do with people. I'm going to stay away from people. We can't do that and still glorify God with our lives. We've got to be out with people. We're the light of the world and salt of the earth, amen? So we've got to make sure we don't allow that to people to steal our joy, and the fact is people can steal our joy. Third thing is this, is things, things. Abraham Lincoln said this. He was, he was walking down the street with his two sons, and they were both crying, and they're fighting. And uh, one guy comes up, and he says, well, what's the matter with those boys? He said, the same thing that's wrong with the whole world. Lincoln replied, he said, I have three walnuts, and each boy wants two. Isn't that that's profound? That's the whole world. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said to them, he said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned against lie, uh, about laying up treasure on earth. He said, he's basically said this. Uh, if you store your treasure here, look, it's not safe, it won't last, and it'll never satisfy. That's right. if, that, if that's what you're wanting in this life, 
and you store your treasure here, that's what you're going to have. It ain't going to last, it ain't going to be safe, and it will not satisfy. Yet people today think that joy comes from the things that they own. But here's the deal. Things can steal our joy. Fourth thing that can steal our joy is this, is worry. And this is probably the worst of them all. And, and Can I get an amen? amen? Worry can steal our joy. How many people have been robbed of peace and fulfillment because of worry? You know, worry, even, it even affects us. It even, it, it, there's even physical consequences to it. And while medicine can help the symptoms, it can't remove the cause because worry, it's an inside job. It's not, it really, worry may be, you may, it may be because of external consequences or circumstances or people or things. It could be any of those, but it's really an inside job. It's a problem inside when we worry. You can purchase sleep from a drugstore, but you can't buy rest. You can't, you can't buy rest. As we've already discussed, if Paul had wanted to worry, he had plenty of opportunity. But in spite of all his difficulties, Paul didn't worry. He wasn't writing in this letter about the stress he was going through and, and the, the ulcers that he's experiencing because he might lose his head when he stands before the emperor. That wasn't the tone of his letter. He did, that wasn't even his focus. He, I mean, it was like a passing thought. You know, something's going to happen and the Lord's in control of it. And you know what? Praise God, the opportunities I have here. Instead, he wrote a letter filled with joy and he tells us how to stop worrying. Because worry is another thief that can steal our joy. How do we capture these joy stealers and keep them from stealing the joy that is rightfully ours in Christ? And the answer is this. We must cultivate the right kind of thinking. And you go, well, that still sounds like you know, psychology. Well, it, it really is because it's about the mind. But folks, if we don't dwell on the right things, and Scripture is very much about this. Think on these things. Meditate on these things. You spend your time on these things. We have to have the right mind in, in these different areas, and that's how we avoid the joy being stolen in our lives. The, if outlook determines outcome, then the attitude of mind that we cultivate will determine our joy or lack of it. You know, whatever your circle... Listen, two people can go through the exact same thing and one can be miserable because all he's focusing on are the bad circumstances and the other can be filled with joy because he's focused on the Lord and what God's doing in it and, and how he's using it. Amen? So it is in the how we look at it and how we process it and how we think about it. It's, it. It is very important how we think about it. And that's what we want to look at. So in the four chapters of Philippians, and you can turn to Philippians because we're going to be back and forth looking at some verses here. But in, in the four chapters of Philippians, Paul describes four attitudes of mind that will produce joy despite circumstances, people, things, uh, and will keep us from worrying. Okay? So, second part of this message now, as we get in here in the heart of this, are, are the four attitudes that maximize our joy. Four attitudes that maximize our joy. And it's broken up by the four chapters here. Chapter 1, the first attitude is this. The right mind that we're going to have here is the single mind. The single mind, okay? James 1.8 tells us this, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So we, we understand that, that someone who's double-minded, they're unstable not just in, in their mind. If they're unstable in their mind, they're unstable in all their ways, everything in life. And, and so there's a, a Latin proverb that says this, is when the, when the pilot doesn't know what port he is heading for, no wind is the right wind. Make sense? If he doesn't know where he's going, if the pilot doesn't know where he's going, it, it doesn't matter which way the wind's blowing, it's going to be the wrong wind because he don't know where he's going. He's not single-minded. you got to know where you're going. Alistair Begg says this. He says, the double-minded man refers to a man whose heart is divided. Okay? So, and it's divided between allegiance to God and the allurement of the world. Don't we all struggle with that at times? Our allegiance to God, our faithfulness to Him, and the pulls of the world, the allures of the world, the things that pull us aside. That's what it means to be double-minded. And what Paul is going to tell us here in chapter 1 is you need to be single-minded. The reason many Christians are upset by circumstances is because they're not single-minded. Paul expresses this attitude of single-minded devotion to Christ this way. Verse 21, here in chapter Chapter 1, verse 21 says, For me, for to me to live is Christ. He sums it up right there, really, in just like six words, seven words. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. He wraps it up. That's single minded. My focus is on Christ. If I'm living, it's about Christ. That's what my life is. And if I die, it's gain. 
I mean, I'm a, if I, I'm living, man, I'm going to live it for the Lord. But if I die, it's, it's gain for me. Man, that's a, what a great attitude. That's a mental state right there. He's single-minded. In chapter 1, Paul discusses his circumstances and faces them honestly. But his circumstances do not rob him of his joy because he's not living to enjoy circumstances. He is living to serve Jesus Christ. We as believers, that, that's the answer right there about this, this thing with circumstances. If we're living to have joy, to have peace, if we're living for our life just to be comfortable and easy, isn't that what everybody strives for? You know, uh, somebody won that big lottery out in, I think they were in California. They bought the ticket and they won $1.7 billion. $1.7 billion. One person earned it. You know what people say? Oh, man, that would be wonderful. There'd be no more problems. I don't want to be in that guy's shoes. You, 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 listen, you got problems now with what you make or what you have. Imagine the problems you're going to have when you've just won $1.7 billion. That's a whole lot of headache. And you're going, well, I'd try it. I'd try it. I, I believe I could figure out how to make that. i figure out how to... Maybe, maybe not. Um, if we're living for the circumstances... And, and we're wanting the circumstances to be good, and that's what's going to bring us joy, we're going to have a problem. Our, our life as believers has got to be focused on living for Christ. That's what it's about, single-minded. Paul was a man with purpose. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived, is what he's saying. But one thing I do, one thing I do, that's not double-minded, that's single-minded. Very single-minded focus. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. That's single-minded. That's Paul's attitude. He doesn't focus on his problems. He focuses on his Savior. That's where his attention is. That's where his thoughts are. That's where his mind is. It's on the Savior. He's not the, listen, he's not the prisoner of Rome. As he says, he is the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, Ephesians 3.1. He says, my chains are in Christ, Philippians 1.13. He understands what his chains are. They're in Christ. The Lord put me here. This is his doing. I'm going to focus on him. This is good. He's not facing a civil trial. He is appointed for the defense of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 17. That's what he's there for. It's the defense of the gospel. I'm not here in chains. I'm not in prison. This isn't a, 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 an atrocity. This isn't, boy, this is not some tragedy that I'm here. This is, man, this is awesome because I've been appointed for the defense of the gospel. I'm going to stand before the emperor and I'm going to preach the gospel. He wanted to go to Rome and preach the gospel. He's going to have opportunity to do that. Paul did not look at Christ. Listen. Paul, I sound like, uh, I sound like um, Charles Stanley now. Listen, listen, because this is going to be good. Listen. Paul did not look at Christ through his circumstances. Oh, no, folks. He looked at his circumstances through Christ. Amen. That's the key. And that, my friends, changes everything. Paul rejoiced in his difficult circumstances because they helped him in several ways. First one, it strengthened his fellowship with other Christians. His circumstances, his, his problems were things that connected him with other people. How many of you could, could acknowledge that and understand and recognize that? That sometimes, man, when you're going through a difficult circumstance, that's the time you get closer to people. Some of the strongest and closest relationships I have are, are relationships with folks I've been to the hospital with. Bill Van Epps and I have been through some things. Well, Bill's been through the things, and I've been there with him with a lot of them. And it's those times where you connect in a way that you can't. You can have dinner with someone. But I'm going to tell you, when you sit with them at the hospital bed, and you, you get real. And you, and you talk through things. When, you, when you're sitting with someone who's lost a loved one, you get real. It's not fluffing stuff anymore. It's not shallow. We peel upon those layers aside, and we open up, and we're vulnerable, and we connect. Paul connected. He understand that these circumstances, they have strengthened my fellowship with other Christians. It, it, the, these circumstances gave him opportunity to lead others to Christ. There were folks being brought to his house. He's preaching the gospel. And here's what Paul, I can imagine, he loved this. Because he got a, he talked about a captive audience. They think they're holding him captive. He's got a soldier there that's shackled to him. And he's just preaching the gospel. He's preaching. And he's telling it. That guy's going. 
gave him opportunity to share the gospel with others, enabled him to defeat the God, uh, I'm sorry, to defend the gospel before the court of Rome. What higher place could he have gone in that day to preach the gospel but the court of Rome? Paul wanted to go to Rome and preach the gospel. He was going to Rome to preach the gospel before the very emperor. He, 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 it's, it's, crazy, it's crazy when you think about that. When we have the single mind, we understand that God causes our circumstances to work for us, not against us. And when we talk about for us, it's for us. It's for not just for me individually, but also for us, the body of Christ. For us, his children. It's for us, his people. For his kingdom that we are a part of. All of that works together. And Christ uses those circumstances. And we've got to have that single mind and understand that. Chapter 2 then. So the first one is the single mind. Chapter 2, we're going to look at the the submissive mind. The submissive mind. So chapter 2 focuses on people. Okay, chapter 1 dealt with the circumstances. That's a joy stealer, another joy stealer's people. Chapter 2 is going to deal with that, the submissive mind. Verse 3 kind of captures it. It says, let nothing, be, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Man, I could stop right there, and this altar ought to be full with repentance and confession of our sin, of us being focused on us. And not on other people. We put ourselves first. In chapter 1, Paul puts Christ first. Single-minded. Chapter 1, he says he puts Christ first. In chapter 2, he puts others second. He doesn't put himself second. He puts others second, which means he puts himself last. That's what Paul does. It's the submissive mind. The reason people aggravate us so much is, is usually because, listen, we don't get our way or they get in our way, right? Either I didn't get my way about something, or they got in my way about. I mean, you, you, just think about traffic. I mean, today we're, we're coming to we're coming to church. Light turns green. The car in front of us hasn't moved, and it's that twinkling of an eye. I mean, it ain't even a two count yet, and the car behind us, the truck behind us, is laid down on the horn. I'm like, really, dude? Where are you? I don't see any, I don't see, I hear sirens, I don't see lights. I thought maybe it's a fire truck going, there's a fire somewhere. None of that. But we were in his way. We were in his way. Philippians 2.21 says, For all seek their own, not the things which are in Christ Jesus. You know, that's what we do. We focus on us. Paul's saying, look, you focus on Christ first, Christ second, others, yourself last. If we go through life putting ourselves first and others go through life putting themselves first, then inevitably there's going to be some problems. Amen? But the Christian with the submissive mind doesn't expect others to serve him. He serves others. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If we're going to be like Christ... If we're going to be single-minded in that we, we want to be like Christ and we're going to serve Him, put Him first, then part of that is we, we be like Christ. And that means we serve other people. It ain't, we don't serve us, we serve other people. He considers the good of others to be more important than His own plans and desires. In chapter 2, we're going to find four wonderful examples of the submissive mind. We find Jesus Christ there in, chapter, in verses 1 through 11. We see Paul as it's described about Paul and his life in 12 through 18. We're going to learn about Timothy and his submissive attitude, his submissive mind in verses 19 through 24. And then we look at Epaphroditus, and we've already mentioned him. We're going to learn about Epaphroditus and his submissive mind, his humble spirit, his putting others first in verses 25 through 30. So we have the submissive mind. You know what? That's the antidote. The submissive mind is the antidote to the people problem. When, when, when you don't put yourself ahead of other people, other people don't bother you so much. When you don't think we're better than them, that doesn't bother so much. We don't get frustrated so easily. We don't get, just, we don't get angry so quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Submissive mind. So we have the single mind, we have the submissive mind, then we come to chapter 3, and, and Paul tells us we need to have the spiritual mind. The spiritual mind. Seven times in, in this chapter, Paul uses the word things. Things. We're talking about things can steal our joy. Well, he's talking about things. He talks about stuff and possessions. 
Verse 19, he points out that most people set their mind on earthly things. That's what he tells us, that most people, they, they set their minds on earthly things, but that the spiritual-minded Christian is concerned about heavenly things. And in verse 20, Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, listen, if we know we're going there, and we know it's where we're going to spend all of eternity, and we know this is just temporary, is it temporary? It's temporary. Why do we work so hard on, on, on all this temporary stuff? Why are we so concerned about this temporary stuff? But yet that's what we do. We, we set our minds on earthly things. If we really focus on the things of our, earth, of our heavenly home, then we don't get distracted with the earthly stuff. We don't let it become a joy stealer. Amen? Amen. So the person with the spiritual mind looks at the things of this world from heaven's point of view, and that makes all the difference in the world. If we look at everything we have or what we don't have through the, 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 the spiritual realm, we look at it from a heavenly point of view. Listen, there's a whole lot of things when I would travel to Tajikistan that I, I, didn't, I didn't take with me. You know, there's a lot of things we think, well, I got to have that or I got to have that, I got to have that. Man, I learned that I could, I could make it with a, I went to Tajikistan for, I think it was an eight-day trip. I had a carry-on bag. That was all I carried with me. And then here's what happened. I checked my carry-on bag because I didn't want to carry it through the airport. Mistake. Because I didn't see that bag for a whole week. And I learned I could survive I think I had a small backpack. I could survive with my toothbrush and what I had on. Obviously, I had my wallet, I had my money, I had those things. But I learned I didn't, need the, I didn't even need the other stuff. I thought I had brought the bare minimum. I got to have those things. You can actually function without a change of eight underwear, you know, eight <laughs> pair of underwear. You can. I, I promise you. You may not like it, and others around you may not like it, but you, you can figure it out. We focus too much on the things that we don't, we don't necessarily need. Five missionaries, five missionaries were martyred by the Alcas, the Alca Indians in Ecuador on January the 8th, 1956. Many of you know the story, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Roger Uterin. I'm not sure the other two guys' names. I don't recall them right offhand. But January 8th, 1956, it, made, it was world news. It was huge. It was huge in America. And some of the newspapers in America and magazines here, uh, and probably other countries as well, but definitely here, some of them said that this tragedy was a great, they said this, it was a great waste of life. That these, these young men, these sharp men, they, there was a waste of life for them to go down there and to, to put themselves out there to these, these Indians, these vicious people, and for them to do that and then to be killed, it was a waste of their lives. Now, while it did bring sorrow and grief to friends and loved ones, the events that followed proved that their deaths were not waste, either for them or for the world. If you know the story, uh, uh, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth Elliott, ended up going back into those people. She was invited into the village, and, and almost that entire village became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you want to tell me that's a waste? Jim Elliott's... Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He, he, he had written that he was ready to go and die for those people. You think that's a waste? He's rejoicing in heaven every time an Alka Indian comes up to, to be in heaven. He's rejoicing because his life was not a waste. Pastor Aaron, I'm going to steal this from you because we talked about this in the office one day, and I'm probably going to tell it wrong, but I, I'm, 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 we were talking about this, and he was talking about what, what is more of a waste. So was that a waste that those five missionaries, these bright young men, been through Bible college, called to preach, was that a waste that they go down there and they're, they're being obedient to the Lord, they're in the care of the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords has told them to go, they've answered the call in obedience, they're in His care and they're killed. Is that a waste? What about a Christian couple who, who retire and, and, they, and they go and up to their death, they spend the last 20 years of their life walking on a beach every day picking up shells. Now which one are you going to tell me is a waste? It all depends on 
whether you have a spiritual mind or not. The pursuit of things is robbing believers of joy. We want to possess things, then we find that once acquired, these things possess us. We want, to, we want to own stuff, and we find out it owns us, and it controls us. The only way to victory and joy is to have the spiritual mind and to look at things from Paul's point of view. Paul says that we must be accountants. If you look in verse 7, he says, But with what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. Verse 8, Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of, of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, you know what? We got to be accountants. We got to look at this. Count, count the cost. He counted it all loss. He said, I'm not concerned about those things. I count it all loss. I write it all off for, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul also writes here in chapter 3, he says, we got to be like athletes. These athletes with the right vigor. Uh, verse, verses 12 through 16, but verse 12, he says this, not that I have already attained or that I'm already perfected, but he says, I press on. I press on. He had the right vigor. Like an athlete, he's pursuing this. I press on. Verse 14, I press. I press. He says, I'm, I fight against whatever it might try to hinder me. I pull against whatever might be trying to hold me back, but I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He was like an athlete. I press on. But he also says we've got to be like aliens with the right vision. We've got to be like these aliens. Verse 20 says this. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. If your citizenship is in heaven, then you're really not a citizen here. We're, we're, what's the term? We're expatriates. Is that the right? Expats. We're expats. When I go to Tajikistan, when I was over there, I'm an expat. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm, I'm not in my country of origin. Folks, if you're, if you're a believer, you're not, in your, you're not in your home. You're not in your country of citizenship. My home is heaven. Amen? Amen. I'm just visiting here. Don't get too comfortable with it. Don't fall in love with it. Our focus should be like this alien. My, my, my citizenship is in heaven, so my focus is on home. He says, I count, I press, I look. And those are the verbs that describe the person with the spiritual mind. Chapter 4, we see the secure mind. And the secure mind is the antidote to worry. So worry is simply this. It's wrong thinking. Man, we, how many times? I want to see a show of hands. How many times have you worried about something, and then when it comes to fruition, nothing that you worried about came to fruition? All of us, right? And, and, and if we did the statistics on that, it's probably about 98% of it, what you worry about never happens. Never happens. Worry about, and me and Gene don't have these conversations like, but what if and what if and what if. I'm like, don't worry about the what ifs, right? Put aside the what ifs. You, you can't worry about, don't worry about what might happen. We know this, we'll pray about it, and we ain't going to worry about it. And then if this happens, then you're still going to worry about that. Because we're going to cast that on the Lord. We're going to give it to Him, and we're not going to worry about that. We're going to focus on the right things. But what happens is we, 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 we focus on the wrong things. It's the wrong thinking and wrong feeling about circumstances, about people, and things. We already talked about those three things will steal your joy. But those three things not only steal your joy, they'll steal your joy through worry because you're worried about circumstances and people and things. So if we have the single mind, the submissive mind, and the spiritual mind, we shouldn't have more trouble, or we shouldn't have a whole lot of trouble with, with worry. That shouldn't be a problem. If only there were, listen, if only with this worry thing, if there were only something to guard our heart and our mind so that that worry wouldn't end or it couldn't end, or if, there were, if only there were something, if only. Hmm. Oh, wait, Philippians 4. Philippians 4, 6. Paul, wait, Paul gives, look what Paul says here. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious. You know what that word, King James says that word, that word is careful. It doesn't mean like careful not to step on the, you know, not that kind of careful, which it is, but it's, what it means is don't be full of care. Careful. Don't be full of care. Be anxious. That's when, it, when you're full of care, you're anxious, you're nervous, you're worried, you're stressed. He says be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God. You want peace of God? 
when you've got peace of God, you can have great joy in your life. When the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, look what it will do. Wow, if only there was something to guard our hearts and our minds. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There is an answer to our worry. And we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry at all. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You take your needs. You take your concerns. You take your worries. You take your anxiety. You take it to Him and you give it to Him. And you leave it there. You don't pick it up. You leave it with Him. And then the peace of God that surpasses all of our understanding, our comprehension. Wow, I cannot believe that. The peace that I have, it's beyond my comprehension. That's what He's talking about. I can't even gather the peace that I have now. It's a promise. And we can have it. And it'll guard your heart and your mind. That word guard is a military term that means to stand guard or it means a garrison. It's even better. When you have a garrison, it means multiple guards are guarding your heart and your mind. Chapter 4 describes the spiritual resources that believers have in Christ Jesus. Uh, verse 7, we have the peace of God. We have, we, we have peace of God. Verse 7, and the peace of God. Okay, that's what it says. So we have that. That's one of the, 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 the resources we have. We also have God's power. In verses 10 through 13, you see, but verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I'm not trying to use that verse out of context and go, that's Superman verse, I, you know, I'm all strong. No, it's not talking about my strength. It's talking about his strength. It's talking about his strength. And he's talking about, you know what, when my focus is on Christ, it doesn't matter if I've got, got stuff or I don't have stuff. I don't, if I've got things or I don't have things. If I've got food or I don't have food. If I've got money or I don't have money. If I've got a car or I don't have a car. If I've got a house or I don't have a house. I've had it before and I've been without it before, but I've found that whatever state I'm in, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My strength is in Christ. So I have the peace of God. I have the power of God. I also have provision. I have God's provision. Verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Doesn't promise to provide all our wants. I still don't have that red Magnum P.I. Ferrari. Still don't have it. Still don't have it. So I know that that verse doesn't mean He provides all my wants, especially ones that would create problems in my life. He says, nope, idiot, you don't need that. That would cause you trouble, and I'm helping you by not giving you that. So he provides all our needs. He supplies what we need. It's a promise we have. We have his peace, we have his power, we have his provision. So why should we ever worry? And yet we, we do. We have the peace of God to guard us and the God of peace to guide us, and that's in verse 9. And uh, the peace of God comes to us when we practice right praying. We already saw that in verse 6 and 7. But, it, but also with right thinking, verse 8 says, here's the right thinking part, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are, are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, now all of those are good things, right? Those are all good things. He didn't say whatever bad problems you have or whatever sickness you have or whatever, you know, people trouble you. And he didn't say that. These are all positive things. He said, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That word meditate simply means to think on, to dwell on, to think on it. Dwell on those things. Tell, dwell on the positive, not on the negative. Don't, don't get caught up in that. So you got to have right thinking. You pray right. You think right, and then you live right. Verse 9 says this, The things which we learned, uh, Paul says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. Paul's been doing some teaching. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. This is the right living. This is the way you live your life. This is it. The things that I've taught you, the things you received from me, the things you heard from me, the things you saw in me. I'm living my life as an example for you to watch and learn from. And I'm teaching you, do these things. Do these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Folks, if, if, if you, these, these circumstances and people and things and worry, we don't, they, we don't have to let any of those steal our joy. 
Those are the four biggest culprits to, to just trying to steal our joy. And we've got the antidote. Paul gives us the antidote to every one of those. And it is in our relationship with Christ, our focus on Christ. Really, it's about our thinking on Christ. In every one of these situations, it's right thinking. It's having your mind in the right place. That's the secret uh, for victory over all worry in these circumstances. Pastor Aaron, Jim, if you all come forward. We have a simple invitation. Simple invitation this morning. Three things I want to tell you. First is this. If you want joy this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're never truly going to have joy without Jesus. And I said at the start of this, and if this morning you go, I don't have that joy in my life. I don't have that peace that passes all understanding. I don't, I don't, I don't have that, but I want that this morning. I understand that I'm a sinner and, and I'm separated from God by, by my sin. And this morning, I need to be saved. I want the forgiveness of sin that Jesus has offered me. I want him to be my Savior. It's very simple. It's a very simple thing. It wasn't an easy thing. It cost Jesus everything. It cost God his son. But if that's you this morning, you need to be born again, I invite you. I invite you to come forward. And, and someone will pray with you. We'll, we'll present the gospel to you. And, and just uh, and, and the Bible says, listen, you, he says, the scripture says, I've written these things that you might know that you have eternal life. You don't have to leave here going, yeah, I hope I'm saved. I hope I'm saved. Our gospel is not a hope-so gospel. It's a no-so gospel. And, and you can know that you have eternal life. But it comes through confession of our sin, repenting of that, and, and believing by faith. And this morning, if you need Jesus, I, I would plead with you to step forward and come down and let someone take the scriptures and, and introduce you to Christ this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, believer, and you've, you've, you've had a struggle with joy. Maybe, maybe this morning you need to confess your faults in that, your failures in that. Uh, you need to confess that, you know, I've allowed circumstances to steal my attention. I've focused more on them than Christ. Maybe I've, I've allowed people to steal my joy. Because I've, I've, put, I've put myself maybe ahead of other people and not other people ahead of me. And certainly, if you don't put Christ first, you're going to have a problem all the way around. If he's not in the right place, nobody's going to be in the right place. He's first, other second, yourself last. Maybe, maybe that's our problem. Maybe we've, we've, put, um, we, we've put things, pursuit of, of pleasure, pursuit of, of, of possessions that we think will make us happy. Maybe that's been our focus. Maybe this morning we need to repent of that. Maybe we've been bogged down in worry and that's stolen our joy. Maybe this morning those are things that we need to confess. We just need to get that. We need to come and talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I've carried these things and I know that's wrong. And this morning I just want to leave that at the altar. This altar's open. I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to come. If that's something, come down here to this altar. Don't sit there in the pew and go, well, I'll pray here. Listen, if God's doing something in your heart, move. Move. Take a step out this morning. Respond in a, in a way that it's more than just, okay, take a step out. There's, I'm, I'm just telling you, folks, there's something about moving and responding to what God's doing in your life. There's a physical act of what God's doing in your heart. I invite you to come. I don't get pumped up about people coming to the altar. But the Lord's moving and working in your heart. Come and physically make a move that expresses what he's doing in your heart. Come and talk to him. Confess that. Maybe you need to submit your mind to Christ. If you're struggling with joy, uh, it's an everyday thing where we need to submit our minds. When you, when you find yourself losing joy, take an inventory. Do I have a double mind? Have I been proud? Am I grasping for things? Am I worrying? You need to evaluate those things. You ought to evaluate that every day. If there's a lack of joy, why? Why? What is it that's stealing my joy? And you've got to put a stop to it. If you're guilty, confess that to the Lord and repent of that and turn back to Him. And you know what? He's going to restore your mind. He'll restore it. He'll restore that joy. So this morning, there's the invitation. And uh, I'm going to ask you to stand. Pastor Aaron's going to lead us as we sing. And uh, I, I, I encourage you, don't worry about anybody sitting around you. Don't worry about anybody sitting around you. I invite you this morning, if the Lord's working in your heart, there's something you need to talk to Him about, I invite you this morning to come and talk to Him at this altar. Thank mm-hmm. you.